This is the Books Podcast presented by Tim Haig. And this is the Books Podcast with Tim Haig, only this time we have a bit of a departure because Rob Newman has a new book out called Neuropolis. And my friend and colleague Poppy is an even bigger fan of Rob Newman than I am, so we sent her along to talk to him. I'm talking to Robert Newman, who is, it seems to me, busy reclaiming science for real people. Robert is famous from his time as a top comedian in the late 80s and early 90s. He's gaining a whole new audience now, including me, from his recent series on Radio 4, where he reeks his scientific iconoclasm in intellectual comedy programs and also in books. We're here in a cafe in Kentish Town to talk about Robert's latest series and book, Neuropolis. I'm thrilled to be here. Hello, Robert. Hello. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Neuropolis um, lays into a number of phenomena in contemporary science that you call um, brain science, that you call scientism, magical scientism, etc. What are these notions that are so upsetting you? So half of the book, in a way, certainly the first half of the book, it's really about a bizarre literary subgenre, which is the a particularly macho, uh, slightly sadistic pop science. So, uh, and it's this idea that, so it's, um, everything's an illusion, smiling came from snarling, uh, um, uh, um, a lot of, um, these, uh, uh, this sort of breast-beating macho tone, um, and and um, and then the tragedy—it's very dehumanising. A lot of the things that they're that they're saying, um, but also it's also damaging for science because there's all the fascinating science around. It doesn't really get a look in because it doesn't fit into this sort of macho, sadistic, nihilistic, pessimistic template, uh, and and, um, and 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 and. And so I wanted to sort of knock one down and create some space for the other bit. Tell me a little bit about um, brains as machines. And because um, that, that's the biggest message I took from your book. So tell me, tell me a little bit about AI and the problem with that. Yeah, this, so uh, a classic example. So uh, um, in, for example, David Eagleman's book, The Brain, The Story of You, which is sort of... Uh, um, it's a return to a very old idea, which is solipsism. He says that there, he says um, with um, powerful enough computers simulating our brains' uh, 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 neural activity, we could upload. We could become non-biological beings, um, uh, ex existing uh, digitally as simulations, escaping the biological wetware from which we've arisen. We could become non-biological beings. Now that has its roots in those bits of Christianity heavily influenced by Plato. Beyond bodily sin and earthly decay lies a shimmering non-physical realm to which the, uh, the enlightened will be uplifted or uploaded. And it's um, every, every, this idea that we don't really belong here, that the reality isn't what you see. We look not upon what can be seen, says St. Paul, but on what cannot be seen. This is a very old idea, often called solipsism, sometimes idealism. It comes back and every few generations before being politely escorted off the premises. Its present return couldn't come at a worse moment because now more than ever with the climate emergency, the mass species event, mass coral bleaching event, 
you know, we need to see that we are rooted in the earth, that we are biological beings, that as the, our greatest living philosopher Mary Midgley says, we are not machines, we are animals. And the people who really couldn't take, people say, oh, you know, people who really, that Darwin took away was a problem for uh, theologians, and it's true, but it was also a problem for the idea, that, the clockwork idea, the idea that, that we, are, we are not machines, we are animals. And it's the last, it's the last sort of, uh, rear God action against Darwinism. People cannot accept that we, we are of the earth, that we are biological creatures, and it's got very ancient ideas that, you know, the idea of things being quintessential, that they were, that were, they were they've got the four elements here, earth, fire, air, and water, but up there, when you get up to the troposphere, you've got this sort of quintessence, this fifth element, where everything's perfect, and the, and the, and the celestial spheres are. And so these, it's this, incredibly mystical idea and because they're embarrassed by how mystical it is it comes cloaked in all this these heavy boots and hard hats of all this macho you can't handle the truth this is how it is everything you see is an illusion there's no such thing as love it's all the reptile but all this macho nonsense uh, 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 and a lot of chauvinism uh, uh, as well uh, and uh, uh, and so uh, and it's it's uh, and above all else, of course, it's funny and it's wild extrapolations from the science as well. So, you know, who could resist? Well, I'd love to talk to you about that for a long time. But anyone who wants to know more about these ideas can listen to the Europolis series on iPlayer, can read your book, can listen to other iPods, um, your podcasts that you've done. Today, what I'd like to do is to challenge you with a number of devil's advocate so questions. So um, and the first one is these notions that you are tackling, um, are they outliers and trivial really, or are they, the, you, you know, straw men that you enjoy uh, challenging, or are they mainstream really? So there's a, there's a well, there's a, um, I think the most influential philosophers today are people who you wouldn't call philosophers, they're those people who write those pop science books, I mean it's, it's really strong. We have a global mental health epidemic at the moment, which obviously has lots of causes but it cannot help being told that you don't exist you're an illusion your consciousness is totally false um, um, it's it's what we're seeing now with a pop science book like we are our brains by, by dick swab is a return to of of scientific racism that we saw with say samuel morton in the 19th century or with um paul brocker where it's coming back there he is, he's saying that Japanese people and New Guineans struggle to tell the difference between fear and surprise. Now, this is a book famous for having no footnotes. There's no evidence for this. It flies totally in the face of, it, of, of, of everything that we know about anthropology and evolutionary biology, which is there hasn't been any major, major changes to, to, the, to, to human beings for at least for 80,000 years, and certainly not in the 40,000 years since the first Paleolithic sailors crossed the Sea of Okotsk on rafts to, to make landfall on the Japanese archipelago for the first time. So it's absolutely awful. It's a return to what they called in the 19th century polygenism, mm. which was the idea that instead of there being one race, one human race, there were these lots of different races, which is when and this was used to... to, to it, was, it, was a, it was very popular in the United States at the beginning uh, of the 20th century when they were very frightened about free blacks and they were very frightened about Eastern European and Jewish immigration coming through Ellis Island and so they wanted to say we can't have one rule for everyone because they're not we're not all the same and it's and and, and this is this isn't like an, a fringe thing this is this is we'll throw 
total mainstream. It's there on the science book, endorsed by all sorts of famous progressives, uh, given given unimpeded, unchallenged uh, access to start the week and all the main things. So far from being straw men, these are major. Um, these are major forces in the intellectual culture and the political culture that we live in today. I mean, I can help you out here. Ramachandran gave a whole series of wreath lectures yeah. just a few years ago. Yeah. Brian Cox is one of the most yeah. quoted scientists in our country at the moment. Stephen Hawking, nobody is going to question his scientific mm. credentials, and they are also among your targets. So I think that you do well, I mean, challenge mainstream targets as well. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, uh, and Brian Cox was saying there's nothing special about human brains that a sufficiently powerful computer couldn't do just as well. Seems to fly in the... F I mean, again, it's a suitably macho, mm. sadistic thing. It's sort of saying it's materialistic, but it's totally against the latest evidence, which is showing that the body and environment controls the brain much more than, much more than we thought. Um, there's a, there's a huge, huge wealth of stuff about this, but it doesn't. But you don't. That sort of science never gets heard because it doesn't sound the, the appropriately macho note. Mm. So, Robert, this is a quote from you, sir, from your very book, and it goes like this: "Who are you to talk about any of this?" Yeah, that's what that's what I was uh, asked by um, um, one, one interviewer. Um, well, in the book, I sort of say, well. Um, Wolfgang Kurler in his 1940s lectures on, um, I think, dynamics and psychology, talked, praised trespassing as a scientific technique. But also, there's, a, it, it, there's nothing like a sign that says, please keep off the grass to make you want to trample on the plushy sword, is there? I mean, Which brings me on to my next question, which leads on directly. I know that there are some people who worry that you are creating space for science deniers. You are critiquing a science and that allows those people who want to take evolution off the curriculum, who want to take America out of the Paris Agreement and the rest. It gives them ammunition. Is that a worry, Robert? It's hard to think of any idea more inimical to the spirit of free scientific inquiry than you're either with us or against us. To argue for the preservation of, that the preservation of critical thought demands a suspension of critical thinking is an appalling argument, but it's not an argument without a history. It's the same argument that you, if you criticise the Soviet Union, you're allowing space for imperialism. If you criticise Blair invading Iraq, you're letting the Tories in. Criticise New Labour introducing tuition fees, you'll let the Tories in. Criticise, you know, this, this, criticise the, 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 the Soviet Union and, and, then, and then the Spanish fascists will win. All that, all that, all, that's an old argument. And it's, it's as, it's as, unscientific as anything you can imagine you know but but uh, but we live in a time when the leading proponents of science are, are the people coming out with the most virulently anti-scientific comments um sure your book defies description i think i mean is it a polemic um why do you write the way you do, eliding fact with comedy, telling anecdotes that didn't actually happen? Don't you think that that vitiates the message? Maybe. Uh, it, came, it evolved out of a, a stand-up show, and there's strengths in that, and there's weaknesses in that. The strengths in that is that it helped me sort of put things into everyday language and to, con and to be clear about the ideas. But... It's sort of I kind of like it in a, in a, as a reader when a, when a book sort of you know when you switch from one point of view to another or one f 
first person to third person, or I kind of like those things. Well, that let's talk about agendas. You have, I think, clear agendas which you don't hide. I could give you a quick example in your book in the way that you talk about um, an IBM executive saying that in future computers can be better lawyers than real lawyers, but when the IBM vice president was put on court, was put on trial for fraud, he hired real lawyers. Now that's a slightly dodgy argument because he didn't say the computers were ready now, but it talks about your agendas. Do you think that your what, what, agendas... Sorry, what's the agenda there? What's the agenda there? Well, the agenda is that the, the, we know that you're a warrior for social and environmental justice and the current financial services industry is inimical to all of that. <laughs> Um, do you think that the fact that you come so clearly from an agenda takes away from the disinterest that is supposed to mark scientific inquiry? I, I, I don't think I don't think this a disinterest does mark scientific inquiry. Everyone has a you know everyone has a hypothesis that they're that they're trying to prove. Um, I mean, I um, I just think. Um, as Howard Zinn, the great historian, said, you can't be neutral on a moving train. I mean, just sort of, it's it's good that you can be clear about your uh, your, your your interests. But I, but I mean, um, I mean, I mean, Hilary Putnam, the philosopher, is very good on the collapse of the fact-value dichotomy. That you can't really, it's very difficult to say where facts end and values begin, and. Um, um, but it just shows that a lot of this macho talk, the people who are saying it, don't believe it themselves. So when they say, when Francis Crick says, you, you don't exist, you're just a... He doesn't say, I, I don't exist. And no one believes for a moment that they're just an algorithm going around. When, when, you're, when um, Noah Yuval Harari says the free individual is just a fictional tale concocted by a biochemical algorithm, well, again, it's sounding the right, macho, humans, you're just, uh, you're just scum. He doesn't believe it himself. He doesn't say doesn't say about himself. He doesn't say I'm just a floating algorithm. He doesn't say his children are, or his mother is. You know, it's no one believes it, but it's just, and it's just a way of, it's a way of trash talking the human race, which is what, I mean, which is what, and, and if you're not aware of your agenda, then oh, it just oh, look at that by mistake. I just happen to be doing exactly what the free market is doing, saying you're worth nothing. You can be replaced. Your expertise counts for nothing. You're just a you're just a fictional tale. So we're not going to have any loyalty to the workers who've been here, whatever. You can be hired and fired. Well, yeah, that's that's that. So that's what's that if that's not an agenda? But if you if you're not aware of your agendas, then they're even worse. The great uh, economist, probably the most important economist of the 20th century, uh, Maynard Keynes said. Um, you know, practical men who think themselves exempt from any intellectual influence are usually the slaves of some defunct political economist. Yes, yes. Well, that's totally the case of 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 of, of all these of, of of all these sort of breast-beating uh, uh, um, bro scientists. You know. Yeah. Finally, if we are not governed by bits of lit-up brain. Mm. Um, what does govern human behaviour then? All kinds of things. One is we have, um, you know, um, an emotional constitution that has evolved for a very long time, um, um, and also we, you know, there, you know, we, ha 
there's human natures. I believe that, that Vygotsky is right in that in that we are you know each other's environment as well. That 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 that, that we've always been very we are social mammals. We've always been. There's a, it's so weird to me that you get this idea that we're just these. We've had this dog-eat-dog, but the influence of Thatcherism and, is that you get Dawkins with his crazy dog-eat-dog version of evolution, that we're these lone creatures selfishly grabbing whatever. And there's some really great work, for example, with Shelley Taylor's The Tending Instinct has done that. Ava Jablonka's stuff about, about, uh, about, about the evolution in four dimensions, looking at the importance of, 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 sort of early development in, in who we are, but also recent work about... about no. the evolution of old age, or the fact that in groups of hunter-gatherers, no one sleeps more than 18, 18 there's one, there was one 18 minute period in the whole night when everyone was asleep. And so, and that was a particular gift, so that we, we evolve as a group. So, primates, uh, so, primates are, are, of all mammals, primates prolong development more than any other and of primates we prolong development more than any other so we are the little lord and lady fontroy of the animal kingdom so it's bizarre that we get to this to this idea of the these individuals uh, sort of fighting each other for possessions um that's people reading ideology into the science and that was that's my beef with uh, a, a lot of that with neurobabble and and with you know all the biobabble and evolution, it was reading biology and science because as John Dewey, the perhaps the most important American philosopher of the 20th century, um, said, he says the um, the non-social individual is an abstraction arrived at by imagining what humans would be if all their main qualities were taken away. How are you going to win this argument, Robert? No one wins anything on their own. No one wins any argument on their own. But I just think, I think sort of it's, I think a lot of these, um, a lot of the church scientific are being so dogmatic because they know it's, it's moved on. So people are still doing the Dawkins argument but ever since epigenetics came along, which sort of pulls the rug from underneath its feet. But it doesn't, so people are still hanging on to that idea. We now, people still hang on to the AI idea even though there's been amazing stuff about how the hormones below the neck change the, uh, uh, um, you know, continue to shape neural pathways well into early adulthood. Um, there's some really interesting stuff how a lot of our studies on behavior, on the fight or flight response comes from just studying male rats when it's in just a group of just male rats. That doesn't happen in nature. And that with female rats, it's a tend and befriend Thing. and actually that's more likely to happen in male rats when they're with female rats so there are these big changes coming but people have got yeah you know there's that saying if that my mum used to say if you pull a face and the wind changes it stays like that well that sort of happened people have pulled this sort of snarling uh, uh, hardcore bro science macho face this and struck this pessimistic nihilistic Raskolnikov in a lab coat pose and then the science has moved on, but their faces stayed like that. And I think it's going to, but so I just think it's, it's just the, the, the but it's not going to, it's just all, it's dead wood and it's going to crumble away quite soon. Thank you. My pleasure. Poppy was talking to Robert Newman, whose new book, Neuropolis, a brain science survival guide, is published by HarperCollins and is out now.
That was the Books Podcast with Tim Haig. The Books Podcast is produced by Green Shoot. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.